Hi, I'm Grace Beeson. I'm a professional relationship coach trained in authentic leadership. Each week, I come to you on the Because Why Not podcast with stories from my own life of things I've experienced, things I've read, learned, anecdotes of every day, and that I hope that you will learn from or at least have a good laugh about. So thanks for tuning in. I really appreciate your support. Would love it if you'd leave a review on iTunes or Google Podcasts or anywhere that you listen regularly and subscribe. Thanks for joining us and enjoy the episode. Hello. We're somewhere here in the 12 days of Christmas. I don't know when the 12 days of Christmas begins. I guess it ends on Christmas, so maybe it begins... The 14th, it feels really long, like we're just still here. Um, (laughs) Six days to go. Um, Feels like forever to my children, and in a very different way, it feels like forever to me too. I'm just ready to do it. Does anyone else feel that way? There's just so much buildup. But I did an episode before about Christmas. I'm not going to do that again. I am doing my best to take time for myself amidst all of the craziness and feel the joy and less of the overwhelm. And, um, I saw this great thing on Instagram this morning that was like a mindfulness thing about how to make it through the holidays. And it was like, you know, do yoga and you know, breathe deeply. And, and at the end it was like, stop shopping. And I laughed, but I thought that's actually really good advice because this is this sort of time of the year where the frantic shopping begins. Like, do I have enough? And should I get more? And there are all these sales now and just whatever, but I thought it was great advice. And then I found myself in target as you do. And (laughs) So that happened. Um, But, you know, there is a joy that comes with going to Target. And I just got my hair done. I'm feeling pretty good. I actually get to go out to dinner tonight with my hair did, which is like, you know, getting my hair done never lines up with actual plans. So um, it's amazing. I'm pretty excited about it. But I'm coming to you um, first with some sad news from my family, which is that Muffin, our white, fluffy Siberian hamster, was found dead yesterday. Yes, Muffin was about a year and a half old. My dad bought him for the boys when he was visiting in August of 2018, and he was our first real family pet because our dog died when um, Court was only six months old. And then we had these two little puppies of our own. So we stayed away from animals. And I have called Muffin the gateway animal because I do think he's a good way to like introduce having a pet to our family. Um, but, you know, the reality of the situation is that hamsters are largely independent creatures. There's not much interaction or engagement with them. Um, You know, we would put him in his ball and he would run around and Than, who 
my little guy who particularly loves animals and is super gentle with them and also picks up bugs and snakes and all kinds of things. Um, just, he's like very, I don't know, stereotypically boyish in that way of communing with nature. Um, but he's very gentle with animals and he would pick up muffin and play with him. And he really, over the last month or two, like really developed more of a relationship with muffin. So muffin was nocturnal. You may know that hamsters are nocturnal, or if you didn't know that you do now, but, um, muffin would be on his wheel all night long until we got him a silent wheel, which makes a big difference. Any of you who have hamsters get a silent wheel, but muffin lately had been up all the time and on his wheel all the time. And I kept thinking he's exercising himself to death. Like what is happening? He was just running, 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 but he was fine. He would eat a lot. He really enjoyed carrots and, um, and then, you know, but if you stuck your finger in the cage, he would bite you. That happened to two kids at our house on Sunday, which was four days ago. Um, but everything was going along well. And yesterday after dinner, I said to Maddie, I haven't seen muffin in a while. And it was like, we both just knew. And Maddie, who has zero engagement with the hamster, never wanted him, said, he's your deal, guys. You got to clean him. He opened the cage, picked up the plastic purple igloo, and there Muffin was, quietly and peacefully, gone, just gone. And, And then Maddie said, he's dead. And I said, how do you know? Are you sure? Are you sure? And he kind of touched him with the purple igloo and he said, he's, he's stiff. He's rigid. And I was like, Oh God. So we let the boys finish their show, got a, a box ready with filling, you know, to bury muffin and told the boys and fan immediately came over to the cage burst into tears, reached his arm into the cage, picked up Muffin, picked up Muffin's cold, hard, tiny, lifeless body with zero fear, just to make sure he was really not alive, and then cradled him like a baby. And it was all I could do to not do something I would normally do and say, don't touch him. Like, a dead hamster. There was just this sweetness. I couldn't say anything. There was just this sweetness of Than fearlessly picking up his hamster to make sure he was gone and then cradling him and crying his eyes out. And he put him in the box and he said, Oh, Muffin, I wanted to get you a toy for Christmas and now it's too late. And it was just so sad. And we had this really sweet talk about death. And I shared my belief about the spirit leaving the body and living on forever and being energy that's around us and um, how the body just goes away and that's okay. And we'll bury him and the whole thing. So It was sweet and it was sad. And I will say like with all of the craziness of Christmas and of our lives and everything going on, 
It was this togetherness that we shared that we kind of hadn't had as a family of four in a while in a very quiet, loving way that wasn't while watching TV or eating or running around doing sports or going to something. It was just connection. It was pure, raw emotion and us really being the parents and teaching them about something that they'd never experienced before. And so Muffin gave us this beautiful gift in his death of this sweet moment of togetherness. And Muffin gave the boys the opportunity to learn responsibility for the first time and about caring for another and about the fragility of life and death. And those are a lot of really beautiful, powerful lessons from one tiny, white, fuzzy, Siberian hamster. So RIP little muffin. And I know you're out on the porch in a box taped up in the cold, but we will bury you and have a little moment of silence and um, see what happens now that the hamster's gone. I think a dog is next up on the horizon but it was just a real feeling of like I felt like I was in a sitcom it was like I don't know like real life parenting and kids and I remember losing hamsters as a kid and it's like your life just comes full circle before you know it so again a lot of a lot of feelings brought up by a little hamster dying but that's what's going on here Oh, so I think I want to talk to you today about drinking and it feels like it's a good time for another sort of touchstone episode about alcohol. And the great thing about podcasts is that people can listen who are interested or skip if you don't want to hear about this subject and that's a great thing about podcasts. I jump around with one podcast that I love or many podcasts that I love and listen to some episodes and not others. And I think that's what's great is that some will resonate and some won't. And, you know, not everybody is managing a complex relationship with alcohol, but I want to say there are a lot of you out there who I know who are because you talk to me about it. And I just know that globally, um, and in real life, it is just something very real. And so it's time to talk about it again, I feel, especially because I am personally feeling so many feelings about it and want to share that with you in case they are helpful. So my very first episode here was about my sober curiosity and about um, my thoughts about removing alcohol from my life. And I, that was in March. And then when I was six months alcohol free, I did a podcast and I'm now about 10 months alcohol free, like zero alcohol. But I'm now past a year of that relationship really changing. And um, I want to talk about some real life feelings here, which is that um, the holidays make me want to drink a lot often and a lot. And it's really uncomfortable. And I am doing a lot of 
thinking about sober curiosity, mindful drinking, gray area drinking, and how to talk to people about it, because I'm going to be um, hosting and facilitating workshops on this subject, along with other subjects, which I can talk about in other episodes. But this is a topic that I want to um, be able to address here and everywhere because it's something that I've learned a lot from. And I do think it's a lot that, or it's something that people are really starting to think more about. So it looks different for women like me who are over 40 and let's say have been regular drinkers for their adult life. So for me over 25 years, um, it looks different for me than it might for someone who's, um, considering a different relationship with alcohol at 22 or 35 or even 60. Um, but there are so many feelings that are resonant, I think amongst anyone who doesn't find themselves in a situation of having necessarily to stop drinking, but in wanting to change their relationship with alcohol for the purpose of greater health or greater presence of mind, better sleep, um, learning how to manage stress and feel your feelings without alcohol, um, all those sorts of things. And I fall into that camp, I believe. Um, I think there are is a big range of that. And that's what the gray area drinking conversation is. And, um, and I'm not interested here in putting labels on things. I'm just interested in talking about my experience in this moment without alcohol and how difficult it can feel at the holidays and how I imagine that some of you or many of you or people you know may be experiencing something similar. And so to that end, you might be willing or able to pass this along to someone who could benefit from it. Um, I just had two conversations today, um, one with a friend who has removed all alcohol from her home and is um, seeking more ways of relaxing and connecting at night after work, um, without the ritual of drinking alcohol. Um, and then another friend who was telling me about the feeling of feeling for a long time, like they were boring without alcohol and that people found them boring and they found themselves boring. And I was talking about the feeling of, sort of emotional overwhelm of Thanksgiving and Christmas and how that makes me want to drink. So there's so many emotions that come up and things to manage and ways we're feeling and rituals to rethink and shift and, um, and it's, and it's a lot. And I kind of just wanted to put this all out on the table, share how I'm feeling. And I'm just going to give you some tips and tricks, ideas, advice, thoughts on how I am moving through this and how I continue to, um, and will continue to. So I was saying to someone the other day that 
my own role in my own life has changed tremendously this year. And it can feel very, very difficult at times. I keep saying it's like I've been on a unicorn with rainbows shooting out of my ears and my ass all year. And I may have even said that here before. It's just been joy and learning. And the sobriety piece has felt really exciting and joyful to me. I know it sounds cuckoo birds to describe it as exciting feeling, but the excitement has come from experiencing and witnessing my greater connection to myself, my children, my husband, my life, my learning, my growth without alcohol numbing me or situations for me. And that has felt super empowering and There's this thing that they talk about. I don't know if they talk about it in AA because honestly, I've never attended an AA meeting, although I'm interested to go so that I can sort of speak to this topic in a more fully realized and understanding way. But I believe in AA it is that they talk about this pink cloud of sobriety. And it's when you're newly sober and you're feeling just all the great physical benefits and emotional benefits and, you know, you're getting great sleep and you have more energy and you're not feeling any regret. You're not doing drunk phone calling or texting or parenting or working or driving or whatever it is, but you're just feeling good. You're feeling happy. You're feeling connected. And I do think for many months without understanding what that was, because I didn't hear about it until months later on a TV show, I was really experiencing this pink cloud of sobriety. And for me, the sobriety felt like a great gift that I'd given to myself. And any of you who feel like you have complex relationships with alcohol and have children may relate to the feeling that when you were pregnant, It um, gave you an opportunity not to drink, and that felt good. And that was something really eye-opening to me in terms of the depth of complexity of my relationship with alcohol, although I didn't sort of piece that together till years later. But when I was pregnant, I didn't crave wine at all. I I didn't have one drink either pregnancy. I didn't crave it. I didn't want it. And I saw my pregnancies as a great relief, as a way to remove alcohol from my life without question and for a very good reason for almost 10 months each time. Um, And I found the reintegration into drinking as a new parent and then a new parent of two kids um, to be sort of complex because I'd gone so long without drinking and starting again felt exciting and I wanted it and I felt I needed it, but it almost felt in a way a betrayal of how good my soul had felt without it. Um, So this year, my soul, truly my authentic self has been feeling really happy without it. And the hard truth is that, you know, I've made it through many difficult situations with parenting, with, with being in a marriage, with, um, 
moving through this new career, with uh, being with friends, with going to weddings, with vacationing, um, with being with family, like all kinds of things I've experienced without alcohol this year and I have not had trouble. I really, really haven't. And it wasn't until Thanksgiving and the holidays that I just really wanted to drink. And I told you I had the realization. I told you, I think in the last episode, it wasn't that I wanted to go hide in a corner and drink, but I had the realization that the situation would be much easier if I had been drinking or if I was buzzed or even drunk. Um, And that was kind of hard to look at because I realized that for my adult life, I've managed the holidays with alcohol. I may have felt like I was enjoying or celebrating the holidays with alcohol. And I do think to a large degree that absolutely was often the case. But I know enough to know that um, there was probably a large degree of managing my emotions at the holidays with alcohol. And so there they are, all the feelings, no wine. And so these are some of the feelings I felt. And I wonder if any of you can relate to these. Being surrounded by many, many people at gatherings. Many people you love, many people you know well, some who you don't know as well or love as much. Um, perhaps, and feeling overwhelmed by just all of the energy that all those people bring and conversations, questions asked, tending to people and what that brings up for me. And that's one big column that I've identified for me, which is that I'm a natural hostess. I've always been a hostess, but Um, The sober hostessing I find far more complex because I'm, as I've identified before, an empath. I feel people's feelings and I'm also programmed and very deeply inclined to make sure that people feel very comfortable. And that's something I'm changing in my everyday life, trying to be less of a rescuer of people's feelings in my everyday life. But um, with people being in my home, it's very hard to change because I'm the hostess and I can't begin to wrap my head around the mindset of people are adults and they can fend for themselves. And again, it's the way I was raised. It's how I've always been as a hostess. And I did plan events for over 20 years. So there's this thing about wanting people to be well taken care of. Um, so that I experienced for the first time dead sober and I found it very overwhelming. Um, and that's something that I'll have to rethink, um, moving forward if I'm going to continue to host big gatherings. Um, although I do want to say that with all of this, I fully believe that it's going to get easier with time. And I think, uh, one thing I've thought about is that it's sort of like how I imagine the death of someone in your life where you have to go through every first 
experience or every major sort of calendar event or holiday or experience for the first time without them. So the first Thanksgiving and Christmas is really hard, but the next one's easier. Um, So, but the hostessing and the gatherings of a lot of people, um, that is something I have found seriously challenging. I gathered with a group of friends one time, found it super overwhelming. Um, And again, it's the um, feeling everyone's emotions, being extremely sober and clear headed. So I'm witnessing what everyone's saying and feeling and doing, and I can feel what they're feeling and experiencing, and I can't separate myself. And I can also hear all the conversations, and I'm completely intuitive and in tune with what's going on. So it's just, oh gosh, I'm just realizing how challenging it is for me just with the way that I'm made up to be around groups of people um, without alcohol because. I don't know. The thing about me being intuitive and empathic is, is real. It's really, it can be very challenging. So those are two big things. Um, quiet dinner out with friends, just as couples surrounded by holiday decor in a restaurant. Um, everyone's drinking. I'm not, I wanted a cozy glass of red wine deeply. I'm going out again tonight. I can imagine I will want that as well. I want the warm feeling of the wine and the drink or the two drinks or the three or the four. Although, you know, it's the first glass, it's the first glass, it's the first sip or two or three where you really taste it. And then after that, you really don't. And it becomes or became for me so much more about the feeling. And that's where the two drinks came in and for me like the three or four or more because it's just about the feeling and it feels warm and fuzzy and good and you feel like everything has softer edges and is a little bit less clear and a little bit more rosy and a little bit funnier and people are a little more tolerable and um yeah it's it's a hard thing to say but that's true people are a little more tolerable. And for me, it's really helpful to have people be a little bit more tolerable. It's not a nice thing to admit about myself, but I can feel generally like irritated easily um, by people and things. (laughs) I said that to my husband the other day. He said, well, now you're really tapping into something. I thought was so funny, but it's true. It's true. Um, yeah. And, and alcohol helps like soften the edges. And so the other, the fourth thing is about, um, holiday gatherings with my children. And we do live in a day and age where, um, grownups, generally speaking, don't engage in activities with their children without making sure that they're having fun too. And I was always a party to that. Kids parties with copious alcohol, all events, all holidays, anything with kids with alcohol, because God forbid the adults should just let it be about the kids for a minute without them having fun too while drinking the alcohol. And as an aside, I believe that we as a 
culture of parents need for that to be the case because we spend our lives acquiescing and giving into and giving, yeah, giving into what our kids want so much rather than putting ourselves first as much as our parents did that we then need to make all these gatherings with kids fueled by alcohol for the adults because we're just completely spent by everything that we give emotionally and physically to our kids. But I digress. So I'm talking about situations. It could be work situations, gatherings of family, holiday gatherings, gatherings with kids at the holidays, quiet dinners with friends, um, all of these situations in which I would normally be drinking, if not quite a bit, then at least a couple glasses of wine. Um, and I haven't been, so these feelings are rising to the top, and these are the feelings. Discomfort, anxiety, uh, overwhelm, irritation, stress, sadness, loneliness, anger, I feel short-tempered, I think that goes along with irritation, um, I feel resentful that I'm not drinking. I feel resentful that I'm a person who uses alcohol and has a difficult relationship with it, whereas other people may not, or many people that I'm around may not, or even if they do, they're choosing to not address their relationship that's complex. And I feel frustrated with myself that I've cracked this wide open and I'm taking a hard look at it because I feel in these moments it would be a lot easier if I hadn't and if I just continued on with my life the way that it was. And by the way, I feel that generally a lot right now that I have by my own doing with my own two hands, cracked my soul wide open. And right now I feel a little bit like I just want to like close it back up, tie it back up, tighten it up and go back with things the way they were because it would be a lot easier. But the reality is it would only be easier until it was hard again. And every decision that I've made is for the betterment of my life. And I wouldn't take any of it back, but there have been plenty, plenty of times recently where I've thought, I really and truly just want that cold bottle of rosé or the warm red wine and I want the fuzzy edges and I want my body to feel warm and tingly and I want to disappear into it. I want to use it. I want to not feel my feelings. I want to not feel sadness at what's no longer. Um, I want to feel no sadness over the way certain things are changing as it relates to my aging parent who I'm with around here. Um, 
gosh, I want to not feel the frustration of kids yelling and screaming and asking me for things and making messes and being demanding. And I want to not feel the emotion of what I'm feeling from friends. Um, I want to get out of my own head. I'm never out of my own head unless I'm sleeping and then I'm dreaming. So I guess that's where meditation comes in. So I'm going to talk to you about that in just a minute. But um, these are all these feelings that I've been feeling. And it's kind of an ugly list, but it's real. And so now that I'm in a place of leading authentically um, and approaching my sober curiosity gray area drinking, whatever that looks like for me from an authentic place, a mindful place, um, and moving through the pain that I feel in those moments when I really struggle and want to be drinking. There are ways that I manage it, manage the feelings and move through this. And so this is what I want to share with you. And I really hope that some of these resonate or are helpful for you or for people that you love. Um, and here goes most basic level. It's really nice to keep drinking out of special glasses I think it's really thoughtful when people give me a um, delicious sparkling water like LaCroix or Bubbly or something, and I love that. Um, but it's nice to not have it in a can or a juice glass. It's nice to have it in a wine glass. It's also nice to make a more thoughtful kind of a drink, um, which I like to do in a big wine glass or a beautiful stemless wine glass or some kind of goblet or something. Um, and what I like to use are shrubs, which are things that, um, they use in a lot of fancy cocktails now, and they're all different kinds of shrubs. It's basically like, um, a thick viscous, um, I was going to say liqueur. That's not it. It's a, like a thick viscous syrup. That's what it is. And it's all different kinds of things. So I have this wonderful chamomile shrub that I bought from a local company from North Carolina. Um, and I mix it with, I make bubbly water in the soda stream and I love the chamomile shrub in that. There are a lot of wonderful non-alcoholic companies. This whole thing is blowing up. I don't know if you've paid attention, but there are a lot of sober bars opening or alcohol-free bars opening, which I, I love when they don't use the term sober as much because sober just sounds so dour and dire and drab and boring. And so these are just, you know, alcohol-free bars, but there are wonderful companies. There's one called Rock Grace, which is brilliant for, you know, the former rosé drinker. It's in a bottle. It's pink. It's made with botanicals. It's all natural. It's super yummy. It's very light. I drank a bunch of this this summer. It's lovely. And um, Rock Grace, I highly recommend that. There's a company out of Colorado called Groovy, G-R-U-V-I, 
and it makes non-alcoholic beer and non-alcoholic Prosecco. I do know from friends who are in AA that, um, a lot of people who are in AA don't believe in drinking the non-alcoholic things that taste like the real things because then it just um, sort of causes more problems if you're drinking the thing that you actually really struggle with not drinking. Uh, I do know that can be very difficult for some people and that it is a very strong belief in AA about not drinking non-alcoholic beer and things. Um, so... I, I think that for this purpose and for what I'm going through and what I'm speaking to you about with sober curiosity and more mindful drinking, um, that these non, non-alcoholic options can be really nice. So there is Prosecco, there's beer, that's from um, Groovy, G-R-U-V-I. Um, a friend of mine today just told me about Curious Cocktails. And that's non-alcoholic stuff that you can order. Um, so those are three brands I really recommend. Um, there's also a, uh, there are two really, um, big new breweries, um, that are opening for non-alcoholic beer. And there's one called hairless dog, which I think is a really clever name. Hairless dog. I think it's in Maine and that's supposed to be great. So I just want to first and foremost share those ideas for you because even if you're still integrating alcohol into your life sometimes, um, having some non-alcoholic choices at times can be really good when you're avoiding the hangover and you want better sleep um, or if you want to, um, you know, just see what it's like to drink less alcohol. Um it's, it's nice to have a special glass. Use a nice garnish. I love mint. In the winter, I love putting pomegranate seeds in things. Um, and it's so meaningful to me um, to be given a nice cocktail. And when I go out to drink um, at dinner, I'll ask them to make me something. I'll say, will you make me um, a nice, fancy, citrusy, um, non-alcoholic drink? Or I'll just tell them what I like. I'll say, I love ginger. And I love citrus, whatever you want to do with it, without alcohol, I'm game. And you know what? In so many restaurants, um, they've made me beautiful things. And we have great bars and restaurants around here. And people are super creative. And I'm sure wherever you are, they are too, because cocktail culture is so big. And I also want to say that at many of these wonderful cocktail bars, they are making beautiful non-alcoholic cocktails now. So don't be ashamed to ask. Don't be afraid to look at the menus. They do exist. Okay, another trick I have is to tell my husband before we go somewhere what I would like for him to order me at the bar if I'm not ordering it for myself um, because that was something that he would always do for me and I don't want that to be any different. So I'll say, when we're at this party tonight, can you please get me this? And will you, when you see my glass empty, will you please get me another one or when you go get another one, get me another one because then it just sort of takes away the pressure of having to get someone else get it for you if you feel uncomfortable about what you're drinking. I usually don't feel uncomfortable ordering something non-alcoholic or talking about the fact that I'm not drinking but people can be awkward about it, even if you're not feeling awkward about it. And so sometimes it's just nice to avoid the conversation. Um, 
And you can do that by being sure that someone gets you a drink when you need it and making sure that they know what you want and in what kind of glass. So those are my tricks about the kinds of drinks um, and what to do while you're out. And um, okay, (sighs) dealing with difficult kids and being at home and in craziness. CBD. Have you made friends with CBD in your life, whether or not you're a drinker or not? It's amazing. So I love these CBD tinctures. They're like the droplets that you put under your tongue. I hold them under my tongue for 15 seconds. So they sink in really, 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 really um, quickly. And within about 10 minutes, I truly feel more calm. So CBD is, um, has all the benefits of marijuana without the THC. So you don't get high, but you do feel really mellow. Like it just sort of takes the edge off, but you don't have the soft edges of being buzzed or drunk or high. Um, but you are more calm. It's absolutely a thing. And CBD is also used, um, you know, they now have oils for back pain and, um, just for all the reasons, headaches. Um, but it really is something that's beneficial for stress management. And, um, and I just am a huge fan. And now pretty much anywhere you go, you can find it for sale. Um, you, you, there are a lot of CBD stores. I mean, even in our local mall, there's a CBD store now. Um, okay. Marijuana is legal in a lot of States. As you know, um, there are gummies available that have, if you don't want to be high, um, I don't smoke pot. Um, I am not in a place where I'm trying right now to feel any sort of mind, alternating feelings, but I have had a few gummies with teensy tiny micro doses in it. Um, and, uh, yeah, I'll just leave that there, but CBD is a great, a great, great, great option. Um, I love that. Okay. Breathing guys, my kids in kindergarten and second grade have learned from their school counselor about breathing. And there are all these wonderful, fabulous types of breath that they learn. The eagle breath and the, oh gosh, I can't remember the names now, but, um, breathing is absolutely huge. It's imperative. And I am preaching to myself as I am sharing this with you, because I don't do it enough when I'm feeling like the fire rise up within my body and I'm feeling angry, irritable, and I have to deal with those feelings in a way that I didn't have to when I was drinking. Um, That is the moment to become really aware and conscious as much as you can and remove yourself from the situation if you can and go take five to 10 very slow breaths in through your nose, out through your mouth, the lion's breath, the eagle breath is like with your arms up and down, like you're flapping and that can give you energy. The lion's breath is like what you do in yoga where you go in through the nose and then out through the mouth, you know, and it's very, it's a huge release and it feels great. Um, if you can't remove yourself from the situation, I recommend taking a moment, becoming aware, closing your eyes, 
just for a second in through the nose, out through the mouth. It will calm you down. I promise. If you can remove yourself from the situation, give yourself a few moments. In all likelihood, no one will miss you. It'll be like you're going to the bathroom. It's going to be okay. Okay, meditation. This is something you do to prevent the feelings of agitation, irritation, stress, all the things later on in the day. Meditation is best when done first thing in the morning when your vibes are really high, your brain is not filled with clutter from the day. Yet, even if you do five minutes, it takes time. It is a practice of quieting your mind. There are a million options on YouTube for free. I listen to them. I close my eyes. I sit down. I do it in my bed in the morning before I even get out of bed. I set my alarm to be a little bit earlier. I'm super proud of myself because I'm now on like six weeks every day in a row. Um, and I do them on um, different different subjects, but I will say that there are some amazing, very short ones by Deepak Chopra, and you can do awareness, abundance, mindfulness, um, empowerment, uh, just whatever you want. Um, they probably honestly have meditations for dealing with difficult children, meditations for dealing with sobriety. Like they probably have meditations for everything. So meditation is a way to get ahead of your stress, um, and be preemptive about not feeling all of that stuff. Okay, this is the harder piece of advice. Don't go into the situations that are hard for you if you don't want to be drinking. Um, or if you are, yeah, if you don't want to be drinking. I'll just speak to those of you who don't want to be drinking. It means saying more no's. No, thank you. Or no as a complete sentence. And that means that you're saying yes to yourself. You're saying yes to what you need. You're saying yes to not drinking. You're saying yes to a quiet night at home in front of Netflix or Bravo or your beautiful Christmas tree, which I am enjoying so much and it makes me so happy and I could sit here by it for the next two weeks. Um, so be okay with saying no. And knowing that putting yourself first is okay. That's self-care, that's self-awareness, that's self-love. That is so important to do. I just, I can't say that enough. And that is being extremely aware. It's being authentic in your decision-making because your truest self does not want to be in that situation. Your inner being is telling you don't go. And it's your job to listen to that, lead with that and say, no, you will be forgiven. You can't worry about other people's feelings more than your own, especially if Putting other people's feelings first means that you'll be in a situation where you'll feel deeply uncomfortable. It will create more anxiety in your life. That will mean you will be more likely to feel greater sadness, disease, loneliness, or yell at your partner or your kids, whatever it is. Put yourself first. Say no to the invitations this holiday season if it feels too overwhelming. That is the greatest advice I can give. I have canceled certain parties. 
I have said no to certain invitations. I am saying yes to what feels good and not what doesn't feel good for the most part. There are certain familial obligations we all have, and that is what it is. And so in those moments when you're in the situations that you may not be able to avoid, because I'm sure many of you are going places, seeing people, doing things that you may not choose because that's the nature of the holidays, oftentimes for many people, it's up to you to put yourself in situations for shorter periods of time or using tips and tricks so that you won't lose your cool, lose your mind, or go so crazy with the not drinking that you end up in a dark corner drinking two bottles of wine because you're so emotionally drained or spent. Get plenty of sleep. Definitely exercise or go to yoga class. Go for walks with friends. I go for a walk with my great neighbor friend all the time or by myself, and I find it hugely cathartic as is this podcast for me, as you know. So what's that other thing for you that allows you to feel a little bit more calm? Is it going to hide in the car for 10 minutes to make a phone call to a friend? Is it going to get a box of hot tamales because you just need to eat some of your favorite candy? Is it listening to your favorite radio show? You know, I love me some serious radio and Jeff Lewis. I know, I know Jeff Lewis, but he's amazing. He has had a year of transformation. He has redeemed himself. I've learned so much from him. I keep saying I've replaced my emotional eating and drinking with Jeff Lewis. Um, so like whatever it is, like, you know, find, make a list of the five things you need to avoid the over drinking or the drinking at all. And let me just say that if you are drinking at the holidays, you do what feels right for you. That's where the mindfulness comes in. And so let me just speak to you about mindful drinking. Mindful drinking means approaching your drinking in a different way than you ever have before by being consciously aware of what you're drinking why and how you feel. So it would be me walking into a situation and if the situation brings me a great amount of disease, anxiety, um, discomfort, I don't know anyone or there are people who trigger all kinds of feelings in me I don't like, and I decide to have a glass of wine, the mindful part of that would be clicking in with your inner being, your most authentic self, your voice that says, I'm extremely uncomfortable right now. I'm going to have this glass of wine because I feel deeply like I need it to manage what I'm feeling. And I'm aware of why I'm choosing this wine. And I'm going to do this now because this is why. And you think and feel how you're feeling as you're drinking it. And when you're done, check in with yourself. Do I feel better? Did it help me? Yes. The edges are soft. I feel warm. And then you decide mindfully, do you need, do you want another? Are you going to use the alcohol to um, help you get through this evening? Now, listen, after two glasses, the mindfulness gets a little bit more fuzzy because you're a little bit more buzzed. 
Um, but the mindfulness ahead of each drink as much as you can is the ability to connect with your inner being about why it is you're choosing the drink and how it's making you feel before you're having the drink and just being aware of what that is for you and then making that decision consciously rather than doing the unconscious drinking that so many of us do where you take a glass and then another and then another and then another because of habit, because of ritual, or because you know subconsciously you don't want to feel your feelings. So you're just going to drown them and you're not going to check in with what those feelings are, who's bringing them up for you, why you don't want to feel them and what you're going to do instead. Does that make sense? So it's very layered. It does take work. Mindful drinking is no different than mindfulness in your own life about taking a deep breath before you scream at your kid or your husband or your wife or your partner, taking a deep breath before you honk your horn at the person in front of you who's driving so slowly, you know, um, it's mindfulness in your everyday life is the same application with drinking. It's take a deep breath. Why am I about to take this action? What can I do instead? Or if I am going to take this action, how might I do it differently or more consciously and um, check in with myself about how it feels? I know it sounds like a lot of steps. It sounds like a lot, but you can do it. It's worth it. It's just a way of approaching your drinking in a very different way than you may have before. And honestly, mindful drinking, I think for many people is the start of sober curiosity because it's the feeling of wanting to be more aware of your drinking. It's the curiosity about what you're feeling without the medication of alcohol, without applying alcohol as a medicine, without using the alcohol to bury, tampen, you know, drown um, your feelings, cause your feelings to disappear. And guys, I'm here to tell you this work for those of you questioning your drinking um, or experiencing these feelings, this work is worth it because I want to leave you with this. There's no more powerful, beautiful, strengthening, life-affirming feeling than moving through these difficult feelings, acknowledging them, feeling them rise up and then go away. And they do go away more quickly than you can even imagine. So often we have a drink in our hand and down our gullet before we even know it. When if you allow yourself to feel the feeling and let it pass, it's very, very often gone in fewer than two minutes. I am absolutely here from the front lines to tell you that the feelings go away quickly. Um, but there is no greater feeling than moving through and with these difficult feelings and waking up the next morning, well rested, aware, not full of regret at what you said or texted or called or did or ate (laughs) in my case. Um, and you know what? And feeling like, oh my God, I did that. I did that. I wanted to drink my 
face off and I didn't. I sat with my feelings or I took deep breaths or I left the room or I said no to the party or I just went and watched a show I wanted to watch or I stuffed my face with cookies because let's be honest, (laughs) cookies help in situations like this. They just do. We are human beings. It's, it's hard not to have any vices, but we are doing the best we can. And these are some real, real tools. Um, listen to a great podcast. If you want further information about it, there are some really awesome, uh, podcasts out there about, um, not drinking. And I bet a lot of them did, um, holiday episodes and you can just Google or Google, look on any podcast, um, host for sober curiosity or sober holidays or mindful drinking. And I just want you to know that I am here with you and I'm sending you love and, uh, support and hugs and laughter. You've got to laugh, uh, spend some time writing down how you're feeling. That helps a lot. And, um, Gosh, this went on longer than I intended, but it's a big topic. I'm so thankful that I can share all of this with you. Please pass it along to someone else you think might benefit. Um, And be well. Take time for yourself. Go buy yourself some good non-alcoholic drinks. Bake some sugar cookies. Eat too many. Watch some Christmas movies. I love ya. Drive around and look at Christmas lights. They're free and so fun. Okay. Bye.